Good afternoon, You Thought Media listeners. Welcome to our second ever podcast where we're discussing week 14 of the college football playoff season and we're heading into the uh, conference championship week and we're going to debrief on what we saw last week and look ahead to the what we think is going to happen in the championship weekend and the final college football playoff rankings. And I have with me, of course, Lucas Mason-Moore here to discuss with me. Lucas, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Coming to you live from snowy St. Paul, Minnesota, which the final flakes seem to be falling. I guess we have about a foot of snow on the ground. Took a walk around to observe it earlier. It's doing great, even though the atmosphere here is a little sad after the Gophers lost to Wisconsin yesterday, oh. ending their hopes of a Big West or a Big Ten West championship. Yeah, that would have been something special for them. But of course, though, we have to go back to our beloved alma mater, Notre Dame. Go Irish. Go Irish. Where we're going to start, we're going to start um, debriefing about their game against Stanford and make an assessment on the season, uh, looking ahead at our bowl game coming up. So, Lucas, what is your assessment of the season in terms of what we did well this year? What we, uh, you can talk about the Stanford game specifically as well and what we what you think we need to improve on as well. Yeah, I'll start talking about just, I think, the season in general. We can get into the nitty-gritty of the Stanford game later. But um, one thing that was good this season, and I think overall this is a kind of meh season, as I would put it. Like, it was never too exciting. Like, you never thought they would really have a chance at the playoffs, but they were never, like, bad. There were never, no catastrophic losses. But getting back to what I thought we did well, I thought... One thing that, like, growing up a Notre Dame fan, you come to expect is losing to teams you should beat. Like, I remember I was at the 2011 game where they lost to South Florida. There were games against Tulsa that they lost back in the day. And it would always be sort of, like, just frustrating to see them, like, limp their way to, like, an 8-4 and four season, losing to at least two or three teams that they probably should have beat. And this year they beat pretty much, I think, every team they should have beaten. They took care of business where they needed to. Um, the 10 teams that they beat were all 10 teams that they should have beaten. And it was good to see them do what was at least expected of them as opposed to, like, underachieve as they had in the past. And that's been less of a problem generally in the past few years of the Brian Kelly era. But it's just, again, nice to see, you know, 10 wins on the board, losses to Georgia and Michigan, which were never out of the question beforehand. And just sort of taking care of business where they needed to be. Obviously, I would have loved another 12-0 season in a playoff run. But, you know, Georgia and Michigan are tough games. And especially in the Georgia one, losing there right at the end, having a chance throughout the whole thing, you know, you expect it. So yeah. I'm not overly disappointed with the season, but I'm not, like, brimming with happiness about it either. 10-2 and two is, like, if you'd asked me at the beginning of the year what they would be, I would have said 10-2 and two or 11-1. and one, And they ended up being 10-2, and two, so... Yep, I agree with a lot of those sentiments. I think that if you asked me after the Michigan loss to appraise our season, I'd have been like, this is terrible. This season was a disaster. We don't show up for big games, which is still a problem for sure. But I think after a couple of weeks after the Michigan loss um, and now kind of reevaluating my expectations, I, I think 10-2 and two is a pretty good season. I wouldn't call it meh. I would say it's pretty good. Um because when, when you look at this class, I guess the freshman year started off with the 4-8 and eight year, but then they go the 10-3 and three year, 12-0, and 0, regular season, 12-1. And then another 10-2, and two, hopefully 11-2 season. Like double-digit wins in three years in a row is really good. I think Brian Kelly's on the right track here. Um, so I think when I reevaluated my expectations, I really enjoyed what we were able to do this season. And I, yeah, I think we're, like I said before, we're getting into the top, a top kind of 15 program 
but not we're a great program but we're not an elite program right now yeah i think great not elite is like a good assessment of like where we are at this point too because again like going back to like everything from like by the time lou holtz left till honestly like middle of brian kelly's tenure like they would have good seasons there's 2003 with wellingham 05 and 06 with weiss 2012 with kelly but other than that when they would have those like really good elite type years, they would be like down at like six and six, seven and five, eight and four. And now like in the past three years, they've been consistently a top 15 school, like you said, with the uh, 10 and three year in 2017, last year's appearance in the college football playoff. And then uh, like you said, 10 and two, hopefully 11 and two year this year. Like it's a consistent level of excellence that wasn't there before, even if it's not the top, top tier, like they're not a Clemson yet. They're not in a, in Alabama yet, though, Alabama, which we'll discuss later, maybe on their way out. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's nice to see a consistent level of, I don't know, high-level performance. And I think that's maybe why I rate the season as meh, because my expectations have become so high in the last couple of years under Brian Kelly, where at least in the last two years, and then in 2015 as well, when they also went 10-3 and three and were in the college football playoff conversation for a while, like, I've come to expect them to be in the conversation for the college football playoff going into November 2015. They were um, they were 10-1 and one going into that last game against Stanford. Who knows how things would have shaken out, but I think they would have at least had a very good shot of making the playoff that year if they had beaten Stanford in that last game. 2017 mm-hmm. until the Miami game in November, they were in the top five in the playoff rankings. And then 2018, uh, they made the playoff. So I think it's just this year felt kind of average because even though they were 10-2, and two, by mid October with the Michigan game, they were out of the playoff conversation. So Yeah. And I think I think you're right. They should have national championship expectations every year. Especially now that it's opened up to four teams to have a shot at it. Mm-hmm. They definitely should be in that conversation. We have the they have the name brand for it. And I think part of that in terms of looking at where they can improve is Starting to get a little more we need those Kyle Hamilton type recruits mm-hmm. recruiting in Georgia, you know, and like Chase Claypool coming from Canada, obviously, but ended up he's kind of he's like that SEC caliber kind of talent. Lindsey though, Lindsey going forward at wide receiver, fantastic athlete. Like next year, I think he yeah. could make a case to be their best player. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's. I think we still need to. We don't have the same amount of talent. I don't think it's just coaching. I think we don't have the same amount of talent as a lot of those other schools. Yeah. Um. But that. But hopefully, with those recruits we brought in, like like Claypool and Hamilton, that means we're getting on the right track, as well as a lot of our defense, uh, defensive guys as well, I think. Um, but recruiting recruiting strong and getting some big physical guys, mm-hmm. I think is a, a, an area where we can improve next year. Yeah. What do you think about the quarterback position? Do you think Ian Book is the guy to lead them next year? He has the fifth year of eligibility. He can come back. I hope he does. And I think that would be... I think hopefully this was a soft, kind of a sophomore slump year for him. Where he ended up really turning it on the last half of the season, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, kind of struggled a little bit early on, especially especially in the losses. But um, I think if you if we bring him back, get a little more chemistry with the with the the receiving core, and um, I think he won't be. I think he learned to play a little a little looser towards the end of the year, and I hope that carries into the next year because um, I feel like in his first season. This happens to a lot of Notre Dame quarterbacks, actually. Mm-hmm. Like the shot when you look at Deshaun Kaiser, yeah, Wimbush to an extent, and then um, and then Ian Book. Their first season, they're just amazing because they don't know it. I, I I feel like it's kind of a thing where they don't know any better. They're just playing, and then the second year, 
they, I don't know what it is. They somehow get all these expectations on them. They place a little too much on their shoulders maybe. And then they, they kind of slump a little bit. Like it really it happened really bad to Kaiser. Yeah, remember what happened to Wimbush. I too. remember at the end of 2015, our freshman year, people were projecting him as the number one overall pick in the NFL yeah. draft the next year <laughs> after that first year. And, like, it always seemed a bit premature. I guess he has the size and the gifts to do it. But, like, I don't know. After that four and yeah. eight year and since seeing how he's done in the NFL, just bouncing around as a backup between teams, it's, you know, it turns out how it turns out. But yeah. well, I think especially those expectations with Book – like may have weighed down on him like imagine like coming mm-hmm. in halfway through your first season and just like leading a team like undefeated to the college football playoff like they like yeah. the only other quarterback who had like a better start to their career honestly would in like college football would be like trevor lawrence or tua like mm-hmm. both those guys came in um tua in the championship game against georgia immediately won the championship and comes in right the next year with those expectations and then trevor lawrence last year as a freshman coming in and just taking college football by storm like on a, the only other quarterback with probably a better start to their career would have been Ian Book in terms of, like, a team standpoint, being able to lead a team. And so I think just, again, that burden of expectation, especially in the big games against Georgia and Michigan, just weighed way too heavily on him. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And I think uh, at schools right now, like at the programs like Clemson and uh, in Alabama, they those quarterbacks have a – they're obviously really good, but they have a bit of a safety net as well in that the, the rest of their team could just completely bail them out. Yeah. Especially like the receivers that Tua had this year and now mm-hmm. Mac Jones, but um, those like they just have so many weapons at other positions. And the big thing, this is the difference I think though, uh, with Alabama and Clemson is they have a really consistent, awesome running attack, mm-hmm. which we did not have at all this year. No, it was Tony, Tony Jones finished like under eight hundred yards, which I like the way he was running physical during the Stanford game. Mm-hmm. But I think that's where that's really the rushing attack. It just gives you so much more, uh, kind of a safety net when you so not everything is on Ian Book's shoulders because mm-hmm. we can just hand it off to our stud running back because that's what Clemson and Alabama can do. Yeah, and I you think we I talked mean? about this last week. Like, I think honestly, one of the biggest differences for the offense this year was missing Dexter Williams. Like, you don't have that explosive running back that can break open a game in any second. So you're always in fear of the running attack and just losing that. Like. Jones and Armstrong and Flemister are all like good backs, but they're either too young with like Flemister and don't have enough experience or just like not game breakers like Jones or Armstrong. So that there can always be consistent performance from the running backs, but they're never going to be the ones to make or break really how you do in a game. And that just takes a whole dimension out of what you can do on offense. Yeah. I mean, so look at it, looking at our two losses Georgia, 46 rushing yards, Michigan, 47. And then the other close game, I guess we had Virginia Tech one of six. So those the games that were close, we had under one ten, you know, and and the ones we lost, we had under fifty rushing yards. Yeah, I think that's a problem. And I wanted, I wonder what you thought about this. What about the fact that we are stellar at home, back to back undefeated home seasons, but then we lose on the road? Yeah, I think that might. I don't know. At some point, it's just like maybe a mentality thing, like. They're so comfortable playing at home that they can't deal well with the um, a non like familiar crowd at ho- um, when they're away. I think like some of it is just like discipline that they lack. Like the amount of false start calls that they get um, in away games just are absolutely killer. Liam Eikenberg especially in a lot of big games <laughs> drew a ton of false starts um, that really just would be like drive killers or anything like that. So I think. It's just maybe 
you know, familiarity with being in those biggest situations. But I don't know. I how much of that is on some of it must be on the players, some of it's on the coaches for maybe not adequately preparing them because it's not like Notre Dame doesn't play in big games every year and last year they were able able to win games away. Although obviously they have a lesser caliber than Georgia and Michigan, but still, like I think that there's just not the training to be ready to play in those sort of atmospheres. I don't know what you think about that, but yeah, I think, well, what I so what I've heard from some Notre Dame players was that Notre Dame uh, stadium is a, is a soft 80,000, like in terms of it, it carries, there's a lot of people in the stands, but um, it doesn't, it doesn't sound as loud. This was the year that they, we went to Clemson, it was 2015 when we went to Clemson. And he was like, that was just super, so deafening. Where Notre Dame is, like, obviously a big football school, but the the stadium and the fan base doesn't really get as crazy and loud as they do in Clemson and Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, like, especially Georgia. With the, I think it was a, that was the largest attendance they had ever had, wasn't it? Yeah, that I game? think it was. We're not prepared for We just They just don't know that kind of noise because yeah. it's not – that's not what Notre Dame is like. So, yeah. Oh, and like the big house too it. in Michigan is just like unlike anything yeah. else. Like, so. Yeah, that's true. So I think definitely, um, kind of shrunk shrunk in the moment a little bit on those on those two. Yeah. Michigan game terrible weather as well. Yeah. I, I mean they had to play they had to play in it too, but mm-hmm. it affects different teams. It does the rain like weather does not affect. The teams equally. Well, if you're a pass-heavy team, then, like, the rain is terrible. But yeah. if you run all the time, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. But, and, like, Notre Dame's rushing attack, like we said before, was just not exactly. great this year. So in a game where it's pouring rain, like, and you have to rely on the weakest part of your offense, you're obviously not going to do as well. Yeah. And another note on offense, too, actually. I kind of want to see next year, I want to see Chip Long be a little more creative with uh, his play calls. I think... When we were struggling, and we just tried to do the same thing, like in the Michigan game, we just tried to do the same thing every time. Nothing nothing works. But then when we were struggling in the Georgia game and even in the Stanford game, we get really tricky with some plays, some some fake handoffs and stuff. That's I think we need to do a little more of that, to be honest. Like, yeah. I know people say, don't get too cute. But I don't. I think it works for us. We 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 seem to execute those plays really well. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Let's um talk about another thing I wanted to talk about with Notre Dame is some unsung heroes on the team. Maybe not unsung, but just some people that really deserve some game balls, I guess, for the season. Mm-hmm. I, I want to nominate. Uh, there's two people I want to nominate. First, I'm going to go, of course, with Chase Claypool on the offensive side. Mm-hmm. Pretty dominant season. Especially the second half when we started playing some scrubs, but yeah, um, um, the the, touch, the amount of touchdown passes he had insane, especially the four against Navy and yeah, uh, like I think he finished with twelve, mm-hmm. so I think he did. I I liked what I saw from him this year. Really great a part of the team. Um, so that's gonna be my offensive game game ball for the season, mm-hmm. and then on defense. I'm going to go with Jer- Jeremiah Owuso koromoa yes. He just seemed like he was always everywhere on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, total of – he's third on the team in tackles. So he had, he had 70, five-and-a-half sacks, which was tied for the, the um, team lead. Um, and I just felt like he was always just everywhere on the field, running around, hating people. He was really good. I, I was impressed with him in the Georgia game. And the same with Stanford. He was just flying around. I really liked what I saw from him this year. So those are 
I just wanted to kind of give some praise to those two guys. Yeah. I think I will talk about, for game balls, two up-and-comers that I think going forward in the future are going to really come to be standout names for Notre Dame. Offensive side of the ball, I'm going to talk about it earlier, but Braden Lindsay, the speed he has is just ridiculous. Like, I think he could be a great option um, on the jet sweep, um, you know, my favorite play in football. He consistently breaks off huge runs whenever he gets the ball in his hand. So I think if they can find the right way to use him in that offense, he can be the explosive playmaker that they need. On defense, you mentioned him before too, but Kyle Hamilton, the dude just has oh, yeah. like a nose for interceptions. His very first play at home against New Mexico earlier in the year, uh, he had an interception, and he just consistently, whenever he showed up in games, seemed to you know, have a nose for interceptions. So I think going forward, the two leaders on offense and defense, uh, Braden Lindsay on offense, Kyle Hamilton on defense. Yep, I agree with that. And another guy I wanted to shout out to was Cole Komet. I think he had a good year, even though he was hurt for a little bit of it too. But um, Georgia game, couldn't tackle him. Stanford game too, couldn't tackle him. Mm -hmm. He's just – and he's – I mean, when you're the position – when you're the offensive coordinator coach to your position, you're going to get the ball. But uh, I think think he deserves the ball a lot. (laughs) He's he's a beast. You just can't can't bring him down. No, I agree. All right, let's look at our bowl preview for Notre Dame then. Mm-hmm. Projecting to to play against the Big Twelve. Yeah, camping. probably Oklahoma State in the Camping World Bowl. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on playing in the Camping World Bowl this year? I don't know. Even the name alone <laughs> just doesn't make me excited. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel like for a team that's like ten and two, and after this week we'll probably be like twelfth or thirteenth in the rankings. That we should be in a bigger bowl game. But the way the seeding works out and everything, it looks like this is just exactly where we have to fall because we can't take the ACC spot in the Orange Bowl. So unless Clemson loses against UVA in the Orange Bowl, it looks like UVA will, a 9-4 and four UVA will probably make the Orange Bowl over us, which is just mm-hmm. frustrating. But I realize that's the way, you know, things work out. Unless some chaos happens and we fall into one of the New York Six Bowls. Yeah. I don't know. It'll, it'll probably be a win, like... Oklahoma State is, like, a solid team. You saw last night against Oklahoma, they didn't put up a huge fight, especially after halftime. So I think it'll be one of those games that that's who we end up playing, that you wear them down during the first half. Maybe it's close going into halftime and end up winning by, like, 10 to 15 points. I could see it being ending up being, like, a 38-24 game or something like that. Um, I don't know. It just feels like we'll end the year 11-2, and two, which is one of the best records we've had in years if we end up winning this bowl game a lot, riding on, of course, winning the bowl game. But it'll just feel, again, like a lot of this season, how I felt like unfulfilling and just like filling expectations as opposed to like exceeding them. Yeah, I agree. The seeding, the seeding with the Bulls just kind of annoys me. Like, why are we playing? This team is probably going to be unranked at that point. They're, they're, they, they lost all their they – they went five and four in their conference, you know. Yeah. And we're playing a team, and we're going to be at yeah, 12th ranked, 13th ranked Notre Dame, and we're playing this kind of a scrub. I mean, I don't know. They're not complete scrubs, but I wish I wish the bowl games would just focus more on matchups, creating intriguing matchups than this, oh, this conference and this uh, – the conference is kind of – speaking as a Notre Dame fan, it yeah. kind of annoy me, you know. Um, so I, I, it'd be – I don't really want us to play like a group of five team – the announcers of the Stanford game were talking about this. Those are just dangerous games because the group of five team, you have nothing to gain by playing those teams. Uh-huh. If you win, you're like, well, you're supposed to beat them. Yeah. You lose, they're like, you'll just get 
completely you'll just get completely destroyed in the media yeah so but i would like to play like a mich a mich a penn state team would be a cool matchup i would love like, to play penn state yeah. even even a rematch with michigan would be kind of cool or even like minnesota i think a big 10 team would yeah. be kind of fun no i do as um, well but I, and also I'm tired of like Notre Dame losing big bowl games. Like we've never yeah. done it. And I want like the opportunity to like, like, even if it's not like in the playoff to like play like a Penn state in a big bowl game and like win and prove ourselves. Because I feel like yeah. whenever we get on that big stage, you know, we lose, I guess there was 2017 beat LSU in the citrus bowl, which was a good win. But even that feels like a little less monumental. It's not a new year six bowl. LSU was, you know, not the LSU of this year, that year. And, I don't know, I wanted something equivalent to, like, 2015, 2016 when Notre Dame played uh, Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. Like, I feel like that would be an equivalent game I would like to see and see them actually, like, win one of those games for once. Because they really haven't been able to do it under Kelly for the most part. Yep. I want, I want us to get a test as well, to have a chance. All right, moving on from, from our beloved Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Let's go talk about probably the... Biggest headline from the weekend, uh, the Iron Bowl between Alabama and Auburn. Bama's not even... making the playoff. <laughs> <laughs> Ended up just being a crazy game. Um, yeah, Lucas, what are your what are your thoughts on on that and on Alabama and Auburn and the college football playoff going forward? I saw something on RCFB, the college football subreddit, that said there are three certainties in this world. Death, taxes, and Alabama's kicker missing important field goals. <laughs> and I feel like that was just like on full display in this game. And I don't know how consistently year after year, I mean, there are other storylines in this game that we'll get to, but how year after year, Alabama, which consistently roots the best, recruits the best people across the whole country, cannot like find a kicker that can kick a 28 yard field goal in like situations like that. And I know it's tough. I know it's a tough environment, but it's just baffling to me. Like they consistently put out NFL level talent in every other position um, I mean, obviously it was a great game, back and forth the whole time, great to watch. Not a lot of defense on display, um, which is not <laughs> typical of an Alabama team who you expect to have yeah. that sort of like crippling defense, but it was a very entertaining game. Great game for Bo Nix, too, from Auburn. Like, mm-hmm. the amount he's grown as a freshman is, like, incredible, and I think that he's going to be, like, a leader on that team going forward. Uh, but, yeah, it's not the Alabama of past... The defense especially, I think, is case in point of that. Like, in years past, like, Alabama's defense has just been consistently the best in college football, destroyed opponents. And the amount of points they've allowed against 48 against Auburn yesterday and then against LSU a couple weeks before, they allowed 46. Like, that's just not something you would see in, a, you know, a 2015 Alabama or 2012 Alabama or something like that. And I don't know what... The issue is, because they consistently still recruit the top-level talent, but it feels like, you know, there are some cracks in the system they lost last year um, in the championship to uh, Clemson by more than Notre Dame lost to Clemson. I feel like people often forget that when they trash Notre Dame, that Clemson or Clemson beat Alabama by more than they beat Notre Dame in the college football playoff last year. Mm-hmm. It just seems like they're not as dominant as they once were, and you know, it's the end of an era. First time in the history of the college football playoff that they have not <laughs> made the playoff. I'm not saying this is like the end of Alabama. They'll be excellent again next year. But still, it's it feels strange to have them in a situation where they're not invincible. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's the end of an era. 
at all. This is, this is my biggest takeaway from the game. I feel very sorry for whoever has to play Alabama in their bowl game because they're going to be an angry Nick Saban, a super angry Alabama team, Yeah, and they're just going to get absolutely destroyed. I think it's probably going to be Virginia, right? Yeah, I think the Orange yeah. Bowl, I think more so, most likely the Orange Bowl is going to be <laughs> Alabama versus Virginia, which would just be... <laughs> it's going to be a completely a complete route. It's going to be crazy. Say a prayer so, for Virginia because... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think it is refreshing to see that Alabama won't be in the playoffs. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um I do think I do think other teams are starting to catch up with Alabama mm-hmm. where Alabama was kind of ahead for a lot of the, for a lot of those years some teams are consistently catching up like Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um Clemson kind of becoming maybe maybe LSU will start to become a perennial contender mm-hmm. again too. Um especially with Joe Burrow there. But so we'll see about that but um I think in in, in terms of their kickers I think if this ki- if this kicker plays for Boise State, we're not even talking about him, you know. But yeah. because he's playing for Alabama, and because all that the other level the level of talent around him is so high, he gets these sky high expectations as well. And and he's but he's probably kicking the Alabama kickers. Like there was a stat I saw as well that said Alabama kickers have missed the most since mm-hmm. under Saban, like uh, the most in the FBS. Yeah. But they're also kicking. They're also kicking the most, probably too. They well, that's so true. Because but... they score so much, and and Alabama consistently consistently plays in big games. So their kicker, their kicker every year is guaranteed to have to make a big kick. You know. Yeah. Where some kickers, the kicker for Notre Dame, for example, hasn't had to make a big game clinching kick this year. But still, like you if know? you're in that situation in Alabama, you should be able to hit a chip shot field goal to tie the game with two minutes left. Like. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, it is your job for sure. I get that, but, um, I think it's a little inflated just because of how many big games Alabama plays and how many opportunities they have to fail. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you gonna that. Get, <laughs> that's gonna, that's gonna kind of drive up those numbers, but mm-hmm. um, definitely refreshing to not see them, to not see them in the playoff. I, th- and I, th- yeah, like I said, other teams are catching up. Another thing that people have. Um, kind of noted too is how often alabama um coordinators and assistants leave Mm -hmm. because they get hired for their own head coaching jobs and uh, people have said that before they kind of said that after the clemson they lost to clemson that Mm -hmm. when you look at clemson their assistants have stayed there for four years they have this chemistry and Mm -hmm. this dynasty and then alabama their their assistants spend a couple years and then go take a head coaching job like lane kiffin Mm -hmm. kirby smart you know Mm -hmm. those kind of guys yeah which I would bet probably has obviously Nick Saban still at the helm and still running the ship, but I bet you that has some big impact on it. Yeah, although as you love to say, Nick Saban has never lost to one of his one of his former assistants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true, which is crazy. Not that that doesn't it, impact team culture generally. I'm sure that there are negative effects with the lack of continuity, but yeah, that's the, the ridiculous stat that they always throw out there is that he has never <laughs> lost to a former assistant. Yeah. <laughs> But it is it is pretty crazy to look back at Alabama's decade, what they've been able to do. Um, they'll and they'll probably still continue into a lot of next decade. Yeah, no, um, I it's just absolutely ridiculous the level of consistency they've had since Saban came in. They're like, I would put him up there as maybe the greatest college football coach of all time, especially like probably um, in an era where there's like such wide competition across the country to win as many national championships as he did. With a team that was, like, to take a team that was 
middling okay, would occasionally have a good year with, through the late 90s and early 2000s. And when he took over, just taking them to, like, just one of the greatest dynasties the sport has ever seen, like, it's ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. you know, say what you will about Nick Saban, but the man is a fantastic coach and one of the yes. best ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely true. All right, we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about, we're going to look over at Clemson now. Obviously, the easy year, they thrashed pretty much everybody they played. Dabo Sweeney, talking about how they have to go 30-0. and what what are your what are your uh, thoughts on what Dabo said? I'm a big advocate, as you know. If a team goes undefeated, they should make the playoff. UCF goes undefeated, they should make the playoff. Clemson goes undefeated, they should make the playoff, etc. I think one of the hardest things to consistently do in college football is win every game, and the level of competition, you know, should be considered to somewhat. But when I don't know, Clemson goes undefeated in a major conference, even when UCF goes undefeated in a non-major but still very good and competitive conference in the American, I think they should get credit going in the playoff. That being said, if you lose a game and you're Clemson and you've played nobody, you should drop. I think that there's no arguing with that. Alabama this year, too. Alabama did not beat a single-ranked team. People forget that Notre Dame and Alabama ended the year with the same record and Notre Dame had (laughs) more wins over ranked teams. So we'll leave it there. But I think... I don't know. If a team goes undefeated, they should make the playoff regardless of the strength of their schedule. There's no reason you should leave a team out for going undefeated, for doing exactly what is asked of them on their schedule. You can't change your schedule mid-year based on who's good and who's not. You can only do what is put in front of you. And if what is put in front of you is not maybe as good as another team, but you still go through and win every game, I think there's no reason you shouldn't be in the playoff. So to some degree, I agree with Dabo. I think they should not be excluded for any reason if they go undefeated. But that being said, if they lose a game, I think that's a sign of weakness against a not great schedule, and that should be penalized, obviously. Yeah. Yep. I think, well, one, I think Dabo was listening to our podcast last week when we were criticizing their schedule. Two, um, <laughs> I think he does, he does have a point that there's such, there is just such SEC bias um, in the, in this college football world in general, but probably, and same with the college football playoff. And he's like, when he does kind of have a point, it's like, how do we keep, it does seem like, how do we keep Georgia in? Georgia's right behind Clemson, you know, so they're, they're, they're kind of feeling that too. Yeah. So I think he does have a point there. And I'm glad, I'm glad he recognizes that we haven't played anybody. It feels like we need to go 30 and 0. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he recognizes that. But yeah, then he shouldn't be using that against a team like UCF or somebody to say that they shouldn't get in if yeah. they go undefeated mm-hmm. and agree. have a conference championship and all that. Because I would honestly argue in terms of, like, pure strength of schedule that, like, UCF in 2017, their schedule or and their resume would be better than Clemson this year. Like, they had wins over ranked teams. They had mm-hmm. – they won their conference championship. Not that Clemson probably won't win their conference championship, <clears throat> but I think looking back, UCF had wins – had three ranked wins, two over Memphis – um, counting as a double-ranked win in 2017. So why then would you include Clemson this year in the playoff with a maybe slightly worse overall resume than a UCF? Um, yeah, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I think it all, again, comes down to brand and name recognition. Like, Clemson is Clemson. So they'll get in even if they play a terrible schedule um, against teams that are just, I don't know, objectively not great over UCF who may play an equivalent maybe slightly better, slightly worse, but at least within the margin of error schedule. 
Um, just because, you know, they're UCF and they don't have the name that Clemson does. Mm-hmm. I think one thing, it would be interesting if, because Clemson's kind of built up their name recently. They've not always been a powerhouse. No. You know? They had national then, championships, though, before. Like, it's not like yeah. they're completely out of nowhere. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting, though, if a team with, what if a group of five team with brand recognition like Boise State in this year where Clemson is 12-0 and hasn't played anybody? Mm-hmm. And then what if Boise State, a team like Boise State went undefeated? That would be really interesting to see the committee. If the committee would ever even consider putting somebody like Boise State in the top four if they went undefeated. I don't think they would, even though it makes no sense because just in theory, like the ACC is better than because yeah. it's a big, it's one of the big five conferences that I don't know, and I don't think that's right because I think again that's a lot of times entirely subjective, especially when the ACC is so bad this year. Like, yeah. it might not even be equivalent or better than an American Athletic Conference or a Mountain West Conference or something like that. And until until the the group of five teams need to play. A power five team in their out of conference games. Yeah, that's what need, that's what would need to happen. So. Yeah, but UCF did in twenty seventeen. They played Maryland, so I don't know. But they you, have to play like a, they have to play like a top ten team though. But like, who knows what like a top ten team is though? Like, what if you schedule Georgia eight years down the road and eight years down the road Kirby Smart is left, the Georgia program has collapsed, and they're like seven and five. Like you can't. Well, control it's definitely them. not. It's definitely not Maryland though. Yeah. Well, yeah. You you're, you have a good bet if you schedule Ohio State, they're going to be probably pretty good that year. Yeah, that's you fair. Know? Like I I wouldn't go, but if you're if you schedule Maryland, who knows? Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> that's what I think. But yeah. Okay, let's look at the let's let's not look at the fourth spot in the college football playoff. It's basically a race between the Big Twelve champions, so either Oklahoma and Baylor, Utah, or maybe Georgia. What is, what is um, so let's say LSU wins, mm-hmm. and then it's it's Oklahoma Baylor or it's uh, it's Big Twelve championship or it's Big Twelve champion or then Utah. Mm-hmm. Who should get in and why? I think, honestly, Oklahoma. I know this might go against what I said last week. I think Oklahoma has the most compelling case if they win the Big Twelve and Utah wins the Pac twelve, just because of this week. Even though we disparaged Oklahoma State earlier, they got another big win over a ranked team, which I think mm-hmm. is something that uh, Utah doesn't have as many of um, in comparison to Oklahoma. And especially if they can beat Baylor again this weekend, having two wins over a team currently ranked eighth this year would be ridiculous. Yeah. Add that to the Oklahoma State win. And I realize they don't have any other really big wins outside of that, but I don't know. One, ranked win, though they might not finish the season ranked over Oklahoma State. And then two wins over Baylor is a pretty impressive resume. And a Big 12 championship victory over Baylor is more impressive, I think, than what Utah's Pac-12 championship victory over Oregon would be. Obviously, margin of victory and stuff matters. Um, and Oklahoma hasn't always had the greatest margin of victory this year, especially very close games over uh, Iowa State, where they only won 42-41, and TCU, where they won 28-24. But I just think, I don't know, maybe it's not even deserved, but the level of brand recognition of an Oklahoma will probably get them in over a Utah. So That's that's what I think is going to get them in, because yeah. they're, they're Oklahoma. Yeah, they're Oklahoma. <laughs> they, been, you know, that's why. Nobody wants to put Utah, nobody wants to watch Utah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I think. Not that that's not that that's going to be a conscious thing, but I think unconscious. 
subconsciously. Oh. It's Oklahoma's brand name. Like, they've shot up quite a bit now. They're probably going to be, they'll probably be six. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they've shot up quite a bit. And I think you can kind of, I know with Clemson, you know, we're talking about, you can't really penalize them for their schedule. And you can say that for Utah's conference schedule, but you can penalize them for who they played out of schedule. They played BYU, Northern Illinois, Idaho State. <laughs> You can you can get on them for that I think and yeah. then their first and then their first conference game USC lose mm-hmm. they lose so yeah I think you can kind of get on Utah a little bit for that to be honest I that, mean that like Oklahoma Oklahoma's non conference schedule was slightly better Houston is like a solid <laughs> AAC yeah. team then they played South Dakota yeah. and UCLA who under Chip Kelly is <laughs> a shadow of an anywhere near good football program so that's true you have a point there yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know, maybe going back, I think that because their resumes are comparable, that Oklahoma would get in over Utah just because of brand and name recognition, which yeah. is dumb. But I, I don't, I'm kind of surprised, though, that the committee has had Utah over Oklahoma consistently, to be honest. I am, too, but I think that... The... I, I, like, because now they kind of put themselves in a tough spot, too, mm-hmm. with if they kind of have to put... Or I guess they would. It would be the other way around. You could say the same thing, yeah. but like if Utah, let's say Utah wins and Oklahoma wins, kind of by the same margin, mm-hmm. and then for some reason Oklahoma jump jumps Utah, everybody would be like, "What the heck?" Yeah. You know? <laughs> what, what were all these ratings about them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or all these rankings? I guess they, they'd probably just chalk it up to a Baylor being a better victory than Oregon. Than Oregon. Yeah. Which Baylor might be a little inflated too. I don't know. To be honest. Yeah, I guess they haven't they, played too ridiculous of a schedule either so yeah and looking back well, we're kind of, we're kind of just assuming right now that oklahoma's gonna win that game too yeah <laughs> what about what about baylor <laughs> if baylor wins that game i don't think they make it in if utah wins to pack 12 because like I ba- don't think so either. baylor's like even less of a name like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no offense you know we love rg3 and everything like that but i think they would have a really tough time like having them leap all the way up like from eight or wherever they'll be I'm looking at the current AP rankings, which I'm guessing will be fairly reflective of the college football playoff rankings in which Baylor's eight. I think they'd have a hard time justifying them jumping up four spots. I don't know. I think, honestly, because it's so subjective, like, they'll just end up picking the biggest name, if the, which is frustrating. And I think speaks to a subjectivity that sometimes annoys me in the ranking process that goes more towards ratings and stuff like that. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, but then, then when they had the BCS and it was supposed to be completely objective, people were mad at that too. So, yeah, I kind of like I like the committee idea, but um, I think I don't see how Utah's gonna <laughs> beat out Oklahoma. To be honest, yeah, I think I, it's gonna be Oklahoma. I would love to see Utah in the playoff. I think that would be so much fun to have like a team like that who, you know, has risen their way through the conferences, was in the Mountain West until very recently, and only recently joined the Pac-12 to like make the playoff out of the Pac-12. Would be awesome, especially after they were left out of the national championship game unfairly when Urban Meyer was there, <laughs> Alex Smith, um, after going undefeated. So yeah. I, I'd love to see them in there, but I just I think with the name brand recognition of Oklahoma and Utah not having a clearly better resume than Oklahoma, they would put it in Oklahoma. Plus, then you have the yeah. Jalen Hurts story in there, too. If he left Alabama but made the playoff anyway when his old team did not. And that's, like, a fun storyline to have. Oh. And 
I'm rooting for Jalen. Yeah. No, I like Jalen Hurts. I wish all the best for him. I just don't want him yeah. to make the college football playoff over Utah if they both win. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what do you think, though, if – do you think Utah actually would have a shot against LSU? Because I think Oklahoma would have a much better shot against LSU than Utah would. Same Why? With Baylor. Like I, I don't think I just don't think Utah's that good. Utah's smashed like everybody they've played. They smashed bad teams. Notre Dame did that too. <laughs> yeah, well, that's honestly so, fair. I don't know. And I don't think Notre Dame would beat LSU this year. No, I mean, like I don't I, think they'd be. I the... think we can't tell. I think we can't tell on Utah until they play Oregon. Then I can't really tell. Yeah. Because because you can maybe they're sur- if they're surging right now and they blow out Oregon, then okay, then I have a different opinion. Yeah, but. Utah, yeah. Know. Utah does have no ranked wins this year, and the only like team that they played is that's even marginally good is USC, and they lost. So, yeah, so it's kind of tough. Yeah, so yeah, I think the Oregon game will be very indicative of how good Utah is. And then if Georgia wins, then it's just Georgia LSU. So yeah, no no, there. if Georgia wins, they they both make it. Like, there's no yeah. way. Um, I don't think that there is any way at this point that LSU and Ohio State don't make it. I think even if they lose, they will both make it. Really? Yeah. Let's say Ohio well, could, State loses. Let's say Ohio Yeah. Ohio State loses. Um, They've been just ridiculous this year. They, 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 <laughs> like, true. dominant in a way that I don't even know if Bama ever was. Like, they have just yeah. smashed everybody. Like, looking based on, again, the current AP rankings, they beat the currently 17th ranked team which is Michigan by 29 they beat the currently 12th ranked team Penn State by 11 which isn't as impressive but you know still impressive and they beat the currently 10th ranked team in Wisconsin by 31 they beat Cincinnati who's currently ranked 21st by 42 and those are just the ranked teams they've played they beat Florida Atlantic by 24 IU who finished 8 and 4 this year and was actually good Indiana University uh, by 41. Miami of Ohio by 71. Nebraska by 41. <laughs> Michigan State by 24. Northwestern by 49. Maryland by 59. Like, that's insane. Like, I think, like, if, you can have a slip-up against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship and they still let you in. Just because that level of dominance, especially with four of those wins coming against teams which are currently ranked, is ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Utah yeah, would make it. Like, who would you Utah put in? Utah or Oklahoma? You would have to you have both. Utah and Oklahoma over Ohio State, but because of conference championship. But you could probably say, yeah, you could. The committee could easily say, but they're not comparable. Yeah, like it, especially if better. they lose on like a last second field goal to Wisconsin or whatever. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't think there's any way you can exclude them. Uh, like, uh, there's yeah. no way both Utah and Oklahoma would have good enough resumes to hop them. All right, we're gonna go. We're gonna transition into um, speaking of Ohio State. We're gonna actually look at their their uh, dismantling again of Michigan. Jim Harbaugh still has yet to beat Ohio State. Yep. What What is? Well, all right. Two questions. One, how is? What do you think Jim Harbaugh's job security is like? I don't like tell, talking about coaches on the hot seat, but what do you think that is like? I think it's and then fair. Two, two, and then two. What is the difference between? Michigan and Ohio State is it a, is it a talent gap is it a coaching gap or what is it I think we'll start with the job security of Harbaugh I think his job security is 
fine in the way that like Brian Kelly's is also fine. Like yeah, <laughs> they're both consistently good to great coaches who consistently put out good to great teams. Though I would argue, I think Kelly has a higher ceiling, but Harbaugh has a higher floor. So I oh, think okay. yes. yeah. I think Kelly can take teams to higher heights. Like he can get enough out of a team to have them be consistently or to have them be excellent across one year um, to the point where you have 2012 where they make the national championship uh, last year where they make the semifinals of the playoffs. I think he can get that out of them, um, especially the way he's changed his relationship with players and stuff like that. Um, but when it goes wrong for Brian Kelly, like the bottom falls out, like as you saw yeah. in like the four and eight year especially and even in his earlier years where they were just like seven and five eight and four like and they would just collapse in november i remember in 2014 they started off the year just incredibly lost that close game against florida state and were seven and one and then in november (laughs) lost every single game like it just like collapsed and so i think definitely true yeah um looking at I think I honestly do think Kelly versus Harbaugh is like a good comparison to make because I think they are in similar situations in which they produce consistently good to great teams but never are elite. Um, Kelly has the higher ceiling; like he's shown it, he can take teams to playoffs and national championships and stuff like that. Harbaugh, I think, has again a higher floor because he, like, his teams have never been bad. Like they're always like nine and three, ten and three, eleven and two, like somewhere in that range, ranked in the top fifteen, twenty. But he just can't seem to get that, like, across the finish line um, to, like, being a truly elite team. And, like, obviously the one big hurdle is Ohio State, and that gets to the gap. I think part of it is coaching because, I don't know, just looking at his first matchups versus Urban Meyer, I think Urban Meyer has proven himself to be a better coach. And I think that coaching advantage has turned into a – recruiting advantage which has turned into a talent gap to the point where like this year ohio state like we talked about before has just been like genuinely one of the best college football teams i've ever seen and i think that that you know shows itself in a talent gap which has manifested itself as a result of a coaching gap i think i agree with that yeah i don't know i don't know if there's a coaching gap between ryan day and Jim Harbaugh, I think there was probably between Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh. Uh-huh. Ryan Day is kind of inheriting a lot of Urban Meyer stuff right now, I think. Yeah. Not to say he's a bad coach, but yeah. I don't think Jim Harbaugh is way far behind him or no. anything. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I, I agree that his Jim Harbaugh's floor is higher. I don't know if I agree that his ceiling is lower than Brian Kelly's, though. I think their ceiling's about the same. I don't know. Like, when has Harbaugh ever taken a team to like a championship? I mean, he took he took Stanford to the Orange Bowl. They went twelve and one his last year. Yeah, but he that's took not... the 49ers to a Super Bowl. But we... I don't think you can say you know that's a that's pretty good. Yeah, I, but I don't know. Stanford, so what, Stanford kind of wasn't in, Stanford wasn't in the championship game that year. Yeah, I I mean the 49ers is a good example, but I don't know. It's it's a different like game playing in the NFL versus college. In college, he's never taken a team. Do, into a position where they could have won a national championship. <clears throat> I think part of it, too, is their offense is kind of... Michigan's offense is kind of uh, sluggish. They're really sluggish at the start of the year. Yeah, They're boring to watch, frankly. I don't like watching Michigan that much. Mm-hmm. 
you look, you look at their losses, they even some of their wins, it was kind of just they failed to score points. Yeah. Like they they won 10, 10 to 3 against Iowa. That was a terrible game. Mm-hmm. Hey, but boring can work when you're playing in a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> it, it works, yep. It works. And it you does be... work. It scores points, I guess, in a hurricane. But, uh-huh. um, they only, like 21 against Penn State, you know. Um, they're lost to Wisconsin. They only scored 14. Mm-hmm. Their offense needs to, I think their offense is what needs to catch up a little bit. Hopefully they'll get somebody better than Shea Patterson, too. Obviously, he's starting to kind of light it up now, but um, he was doing better the second half of the season. But they don't, they don't have Justin Fields. No. You know? They don't have... <laughs> there's, a talent, there's a talent gap there, for sure. Yes. There's no Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence or anybody nearing that level. And even after, like, Donovan Peoples-Jones, um, I don't really think they have that, that great of weapons on at wide receiver either, to be honest. Yeah. So. We'll see how it goes going forward. I think, again, talking about this earlier, I think them and Notre Dame are very comparable programs at this point, and I think it'll be they interesting are. to see how they develop. And once they're both teams with great history, who have been consistently great but not elite, and just seeing how they navigate that sort of relationship in college football. Five years from now, talking to a biased Notre Dame fan, five years from now, who, who's going to have more wins, Jim Harbaugh or Brian Kelly? Brian Kelly, in that, in that span. Brian Kelly, because Jim Harbaugh will have fled for greener pastures. I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know if Michigan. Right. I, I, I think honestly, Notre Dame, Michigan over the next five years will be a wash. They'll both have years that are good, years that are down, but they'll both be again in that ten win range for the next five years. You know, maybe one or two off seasons. I think yeah. Harbaugh will get tired of being consistently nine and three or ten and two at Michigan. So. Yeah, that would get kind of. That would be pretty uh, demoralizing. So. Yeah. But I think Brian Kelly is comfortable where he's at at Notre Dame, where I think Harbaugh yeah. is not comfortable at Michigan. Harbaugh definitely seems to hear it a lot more from the national media than yeah. Brian Kelly does. Oh, because he's like, I don't know, it's who he is. He like attracts media coverage. He's like he does. the hot media presence. Or like... like I don't know. People like like listening to what he has to say, and he always like has a sound bite. So I think because of that, he attracts more national coverage and stuff like that. And because he yeah. came in with such high expectations as like the savior of Michigan, that like whenever they're not making it to the playoff, which they never have, it seems like yeah. a failure. Whereas I think Brian Kelly has like created an expectation level which is appropriate for the program he has, in which they will be consistently good. And then they'll be that once every five or six years where they're elite. Yeah. Yep, we'll see. I think say what you want about Jim Harbaugh. I feel like players like playing for him. Especially when he was at Stanford in San Francisco. He seemed like a really cool coach. Yeah. I think he seems a little more battle-hardened now. Yeah, I do He always seems kind of pissed off now, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we'll see. All right, we're going to finish it off with something a little more lighthearted. We just came off of Rivalry Week. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about some of our favorite rivalries, um, some favorite rivalry names, trophies, and maybe a couple lopsided ones where, where we're starting to feel bad for one of the teams. <laughs> so, Lucas, why don't you just tell me about some of your favorite rivalries, All names, right. lopsided, otherwise. One that I really wanted to see go differently this weekend, and I mentioned in the early days of this program, is the most played rivalry in all of Division One football, which is Minnesota versus Wisconsin, who play every year for Paul Bunyan's Axe. And people forget that before Paul Bunyan's Axe, they used to play for the Slab of Bacon. 
crazy. Yeah, I mean, World War Two was the last time that they played for the slab of bacon. You know, I guess they had to convert the bacon to wartime necessities or whatever. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Paul Bunyan's axe came out of it, but. Yeah, longest running rivalry, and Minnesota has just consistently fallen short in recent years. Wisconsin barely leads overall in the overall matchup, 61-60-8. But Minnesota's program has taken such a downturn in the last few years that while they beat them last year, since 2004, that 2018 win was their only win. And this felt like a year in which Minnesota could like finally like get over the hump and do it. They were undefeated for the first uh, 10 games of the season. They were doing great. And the, or the first nine games of the season. And then lost to Iowa. They got back up to 10-1. Doing better. And there was a shot of like the college football playoff. If they could beat Wisconsin and then beat Ohio State. Like there's a shot of that. And in the snow and cold of Minneapolis. They just floundered. Losing 38-17. And I don't know. As a very recent import to uh, Minnesota, it was cool to see like people who said they didn't really care about college football like rally around this team who had just been mm-hmm. so consistently bad in the past. Um, as they climbed all the way up in the college football playoff rankings, being eight this past week, and I don't know, that's a rivalry. Cool name, Paul Bunyan's axe. Very woodsy <laughs> represents you know the raw masculinity of course that exists in wisconsin and minnesota where we all just go and chop down trees for a living as the snow falls outside yep. um so next year i hope minnesota can get across the finish line since they were you know so good this year and just couldn't quite get it done in a year when like if they had won that game there's a shot like a very real shot that Who they knows? can make the college football yeah. playoff yeah so that's true yeah, I'm going to stay in the Midwest for my first one, too. Uh, I, I, I watched the end of the old Oak and Bucket rivalry, uh, which is between Indiana and Purdue. Uh-huh. I just think that's a super funny name. Uh-huh. Apparently, apparently an, an old Oak and Bucket is the most typical Hoosier form of trophy. Interesting. <laughs> and that the bucket should be taken from some well in Indiana. That's what, that's what they said back in <clears throat> the, the, early, the early days in 1925 when they tried to establish it. Um, mm-hmm. I think... Uh, it's it's kind of a cool trophy too, actually. I think it looks really cool with the the I and the Indiana I and the Purdue P on it. Uh huh. And it's it's pretty. I think it's a pretty cool trophy, but I also think it's funny. It's a bucket. But I don't know. I just think that's pretty funny still. No, it's a funny name for a trophy, and you know. Yeah. I like it. Um, and another one I wanted to mention, two in the Northwest. Two in the Northwest. That I'm tired of seeing the same team win every year, <laughs> is the Apple Cup. Where, where Washington State cannot figure it out against Washington, no matter how bad Washington is. Yes. Washington like, this State, year they were not good this year. No. Neither was Washington State, but mm-hmm. they can never figure it out against, against Washington for some reason. And they they always have, like, kind of the little brother. Um, it's a good rivalry. I've read, I've read articles about it. It's a kind of a cool rivalry because it, the those parts of the state, mm-hmm. like Seattle, the, like, liberal elite where all the tech company like the tech and gaming companies are uh-huh. and then the and then uh pullman which is in eastern washington is just so different from seattle the super small town uh-huh. they kind of only have the college kind yeah. of thing it's a nice like culture uh kind of culture war i guess mm. uh, which is kind of funny yeah but washington state is still the little brother can't really figure it out 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then same with Oregon and Oregon State. Oregon State's terrible usually, and yeah. they just can't figure it out against Oregon, which nobody was really expecting it to go different this year. But yeah, I feel bad for those two teams. <laughs> yeah, I do as well. I'll throw in another one. This one's just purely name-based, but it had a fun ending this year, so I'll bring it up as well. The yeah. Egg Bowl <laughs> between Mississippi and Mississippi State. Great name. Every year the winner gets the golden egg. And to see Ole Miss fall in such heartbreaking fashion this year. Did you see what happened in this game? <laughs> I, had, I did not, actually. Ole Miss but... ties it up in the last couple seconds. Or doesn't tie it up. They make it 21-20 in the last couple seconds. Ole Miss, the guy that scores the touchdown, celebrates by pretending to pee like a dog on a fire hydrant. <laughs> <laughs> and gets penalized for it, which bring which in unsportsmanlike conduct brings back the extra point. And because the extra point was brought so far back, the Ole Miss kicker misses the extra point, and they <gasps> lose twenty one to twenty. No, <laughs> so that's terrible. Name based, love the Egg Bowl, Mississippi Mississippi State. You know, it's never always a great uh, game between teams. You know, Ole Miss and Mississippi State have their years where they're good. Um, but great name, crazy ending this year that I want to see how they react to next year. So watch out for Mississippi, Mississippi State next year. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm all for celebrating, but not that way. Yeah. <laughs> not, not peeing on a fire hydrant. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. I hope it was worth it for that player. I hope it was. <laughs> I, I hope the loss was worth it for him. <laughs> all right. That's all the time we have this week. I'm glad we got to end it on a lighthearted in a lighthearted fashion lucas thanks thanks for joining me and we'll we'll pick it back up next week yep thanks for listening in